Is everybody ready for the word tonight? Hard topics, hard questions. Is all sin equal? And um, let's just begin in prayer tonight as we go to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have just to gather in your word tonight. We pray that you would open up our ears, our hearts, that we would hear from you, that your word, Lord, may go forth to good soil, that we would hear your word, give heed to your word, and that uh, we won't fail to praise you for this. And everyone said, Amen. And so is... Um, is there different levels or degrees to sin? Is there different levels or degrees to sin? It's always very difficult and maybe somewhat dangerous for us to try to attempt to list sins according to their degrees and according to their seriousness. Um, that's why this is a hard topic. And that's why this is a hard question. But this is a question that often arises in theology, and it's a hard topic that I do believe deserves merit for us to explore. Any person who is serious about studying the Bible or any person who is serious about being a student of the Bible is forced to explore the answer to such a question. Is all sin equal, or is there different levels or degrees of sin? In one sense tonight, all sin is equal in the eyes of God and will separate an individual from God. In one sense, all sin is equal and can separate you and does separate you from God. Remember, the Bible says in James chapter 2 and verse number 10. I'm going to read James chapter 2 verse 10, and I want you to see the words of James here where he tells us that sin does separate us from God. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. So at one sense, all sin does separate us. No matter whether the sin is small or whether the sin is great, it separates us from the presence of God. Somebody say amen. And then the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, Romans 6 and verse 23, the scripture records, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin brings forth death. James echoes that if you miss one part of the law, you have missed it all. The Bible says in Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2, Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, I want you to listen to what the prophet says about those who commit sin. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Look at verse number two. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So in one sense, all sin separates us from God. In one sense, no matter if the sin is great or whether the sin is small, it does separate us from God. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is missing the mark. I think we all know that. But on the other hand, at the same time, it appears that it's very obvious that some sins are worse than others. It, it seems very obvious that some sin uh, are worse in motivation and in effort than other sins. It's, it's, I think it's common sense. Stealing a piece of bread or stealing a pencil and committing murder are both sin, but it doesn't take a lot of common sense to know that the consequences of those sins are quite different. So I think that's very reasonable. It's very understandable for us to understand that although stealing a loaf of bread and committing murder is sin, it's the consequences of it is quite different. Now, in the Old Testament, it's echoed that God dealt with sin differently. All sin is transgression against the law of God. All sin is rebellion against God. But the severity of the sin was dealt differently. For, for example, look at, let's look at the Old Testament for just a few moments. In Exodus chapter 22, Exodus chapter 22, and I want you to see something here. Exodus chapter 22 and verse number 4, 
verse number four. If the thief is certainly found alive in his hand, whatever it may be, an ox or a donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. So in Exodus 22, God is giving the stipulations of what is required of an individual if the individual breaks the law. And so in chapter 22 with verse 4, he's dealing with somebody who is a thief. And he says here, if the thief be found alive, he must return double. So don't kill him, just he has to return double. His restitution is to return double. But in the same chapter, God deals with sin differently. He deals with the punishment differently. For instance, if you look at verse 18, Exodus 22 verse 18, God is dealing with those who practice sorcery. And he says, those who practice magic, those who practice sorcery, they're not even permitted to live. So a thief could live. A thief has to return double, but the person who practiced magic must be put to death. Both are sin. Both is rebellion against God. Both is transgression against God, but the severity of the sin was dealt differently if you see that, somebody say amen. Now, what about Leviticus chapter 20? In God's eyes, there was different degrees or different punishments for different sins. Uh, and I'm just going to look at a few. Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. God is laying, God is laying a foundational foundation for the moral um, aspect here, the moral law. And that is found in Leviticus chapter 20. And I want you to go to verse number 15. Leviticus chapter 20, and beginning with verse number 15. And this is just an example of what God is prohibiting here. If a man mates with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and ye shall kill the animal. So God is saying this sin is so severe that I want you to kill the man, and I want you to also kill the animal as well. And then if you look at Leviticus chapter 20, and verse number 18, verse number 18, and this is just a whole list of things of do's and don'ts. Leviticus chapter uh, 20, excuse me, Leviticus 20, verse 18, if a man lays with a woman during her sickness and uncovers her nakedness, he has exposed her flow, and she has uncovered the flow of her blood, both of them shall be cut off from the people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, nor of your father's sister, for that would uncover near of kin, they shall, be, they shall bear their guilt. And if a man lays with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness, they shall bear their sin, and they shall die childless. So what's the point? In the beginning of the chapter, God is saying, if you do these things, such as mate with an animal, you're going to be put to death. But if you do these things, you're going to bear your sin, and you're going to be without child. So both are sinful, but yet they both carried a different punishment for their sin. Do you see that? So here you can go down the list in Leviticus chapter 20, and you can see God listing all these sins, and God is saying that these sins are re re they're rebellious, they're tr you're transgressing against the law of God, but I'm going to deal with them differently even though they are sin. Now, I can go on for the next 30 minutes looking at the different sins that the children of Israel committed and looking at the different punishments that God would set forth for their sin. I do not believe all sin is equal. And I'm going to prove to you where I don't believe all sin is equal. I believe sin is rebellion against God, and I do believe that one sin uh, can keep you out of fellowship with God. I, I believe that. And I believe you should not practice sin. But I don't believe that all sin is equal. I don't believe it's all on an equal basis here. Now let's look, at, uh, let's look at the New Testament. Let's look at what Jesus says about sin. If you go to John chapter 19 and verse number 11. John chapter 19 and verse number 11. John chapter 19 and verse number 11. I want you to look at the words of Jesus here. Talking about sin. And I want you to notice the phrase that Jesus uses concerning this sin. Jesus answered and said, you could, have no you could have no power at all against me unless it has been given to you from above. 
Therefore, the one that delivered me to you has the greater sin. He's telling, he's telling Pilate here, you're not the one that's going to be charged with the greater sin. It's the person that delivered me to you that will have the greater sin. So if there is a greater sin, obviously not all sin is, not all sin is as great as that one particular sin. Let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and look at verse number 11. Luke chapter 10, let's look at the words of Jesus here as he defines sin and the different levels of sin here. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse number 11. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse number 11. The very dust of, the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Do you see that? Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the day of Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazim. Woe to Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sodom, then they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sodom at the judgment then for you. And you, Capernaum, who have exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears, he who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, listen, I tell you that it's going to be more tolerable for this certain city, okay, than for these other cities. Because these other cities have committed such a sin that if they would have known about it, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So it's going to be more tolerable on the day of judgment for these cities than it is for these cities. You see the comparison that Jesus is saying here? That there are some cities that committed such sin that on the day of judgment it's going to be harder for them than it is for other cities. Jesus was very clear that it's going to be tolerable for you than it is for those other cities. Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse number 47. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse number 47. Now, this parable is a parable that Jesus is um, telling his disciples. It's the faithful servant and the evil servant. And I'm not going to read all of the parable, um, but I want you to see what Jesus says about this parable, the faithful servant and the evil servant. And I want you to see the, the principle and the precept that's found in this parable. And uh, you'll look at verse number 41, Luke chapter 12, verse number 41. Jesus tells us parable. In verse number 41, then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And then Jesus begins to talk about this parable. Now, I want you to go all the way down to verse 47, and I want you to see what Jesus begins to say about this parable. And the servant, okay? He's talking about an evil servant and a good servant. Without us reading the parable, I want you to see what he's saying here. And that servant who knew his master's will, who did not prepare himself or to do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. So the, the servant who did not know the master's will, who knew the, excuse me, who knew the master's will and didn't prepare himself, he would be beat with many stripes. Verse 48, but he who did not know and committed these things deserving of these stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to him much who has been committed of him they will ask more. So Jesus has given different levels of punishment here to the person who knew better, the person who knew what they were doing, the person who violated against their master in this parable will be beaten with many stripes. That's their punishment. But to the person who was not aware and who did things in ignorance, according to Jesus, would receive less stripes. So in this parable, between the good and faithful servant versus the evil servant, 
Jesus is saying that the servant who knew better and the servant who did it anyway is going to have a greater punishment than the person who did it out of ignorance. You see the different levels here that Jesus is expressing here. Very clear. Now, let's go on. You say, well, I still don't believe you, Pastor. Well, let's just, it's found all. I mean, there were so many scriptures. I, I don't know if I can even get through them all tonight. But 1 John chapter 5, even the writer here, the apostle, talks about the sin, a particular sin, that leads to death. First uh, John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, and beginning with verse number 16. First John chapter 5, and beginning with verse number 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin, sinning, a sin which does not lead to death. You see that? If a brother is sinning, but's not sinning unto death, he says he will ask him, and he will give him give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So here the apostle is making very clear that there are certain sins that leads in the Greek word here, the Greek word for the word committing, committing sin is physical death. Those, there is a sin that doesn't lead to physical death, but all sin kills you spiritually. So he's saying there's a difference between the sins that people are committing here. He says, I don't think that you need to pray about this, he says. He says, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. He's making a distinction here of a category, and the Greek word means physical or a physical death. Somebody committing sin which leads to a physical death and not necessarily a spiritual death here, although all sin produces spiritual death. Now, go to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31. Let's go on and read the words of Jesus here. Matthew chapter 12 and beginning with verse number 31. Matthew 12 and beginning with verse number 31. Matthew 12 and beginning with verse number 31. And the last point session that we were at, I dealt with this, but I just quickly want to make mention of something here. Matthew chapter 12 Verse number 31, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blaspheming will be forgiven of men, but the blaspheming against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. So there is a difference. He says, you'll be forgiven of all sin except for this sin, because this sin is different. This sin holds a greater punishment. This sin is so severe that you're not going to be forgiven in this age or the age to come. Now, if you're wondering what that is, you need to go to the website and listen to the sermon, um, The Unpartable Sin, because I've already dealt with this. But I want you to see the distinction that Jesus is making here, that this particular sin is so severe it can't be forgiven. So there is a distinction in sin here. Go to Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 14. Matthew chapter 23 and begin with verse number 14. We want to go further. Jesus is speaking against the Pharisees and religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23, verse number 14. Now, you know, it's interesting to me that when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he just let these people have it, okay? I mean, he, he, he didn't pull no bones about it. He just... He just let these people have it. Now, Matthew 23, verse 14, listen to what Jesus says to the religious leaders. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you devour the widows' uh, houses, pretend to make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. So Jesus told these religious leaders, you're hypocrites, you make your long prayers, he says, but, you know, in the end, you're going to receive a greater condemnation. Not just condemnation, great condemnation. So if there is a greater condemnation, there is a lesser condemnation. Because if there wasn't, Jesus would have just said you would receive condemnation. But Jesus said you're going to receive the greater condemnation. 
which Jesus is making a distinction here that what they're doing in the end, you're going to have a greater condemnation. If you're seeing what I'm seeing, raise your hand and say, yes, pastor. You seeing this? Let's go on to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter 12. Let's further read what Jesus is saying here. Uh, Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse number 38. Mark 12 and verse number 38. Mark 12, verse 38. And then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in their long robes, love greeting in the marketplaces. You see that? These, these religious leaders going around in their long robes. Now, I did a study one time about why religious leaders had long robes. And the reason that they had long robes is because the length of your robe showed an individual how much authority the person had. So the religious leaders like to prayed the marketplaces with long robes because it demonstrated to everyone how much authority and power that they really had. That is why Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, he was in the temple, and his train filled the temple. In other words, he had all power, he had all authority, and he had all glory. Look at verse number 39. He says to these religious leaders, uh, the best seats in the synagogues you like to set, the best places at, at, at feast." who do devour the widows' houses for pretense, make long prayers, for they will receive the greater condemnation. So he's saying to these religious leaders, you're going to receive a great condemnation, a great con not just condemnation, you're going to receive a greater punishment. And if it's a greater punishment, then it's obviously a greater sin, because greater sins deserve greater punishment. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, and Listen, I can go on and on. There's scripture after scripture, but I'm not going to do that for the sake of time. I'm going to look at a few more. Galatians chapter number 5, and I want you to see, uh, and I, I never noticed this before, but I think it holds merit for this. And I want you to go to Galatians chapter number 5, and uh, I want you to see a few things here. Galatians chapter number 5, verse number 16. And I want us to see here, Galatians 5, verse 16, he says, Walk in the Spirit, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the lust of the flesh is against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now look at it, verses 19, 20, 21. And you, you can see, you can even read them. But the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, uncleanliness, lewdness, adultery, sorcery, hatred, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, on and on, envy, verse 21, murders, drunkenness. Go on, verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You get the point. And then he goes all the way down. Go to verse number, um, go to verse number 21. He says, people who practice such things will never inherit the kingdom of God. He made a list of particular sins, did he not? He made a list of particular sins that if you do these sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what about other sins? The writer was making a point that this class of sins, if you do these, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. So these sins fall in the class where the writer says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what are you saying, Brother Josh? John 19, 11, Luke 10, Luke 12, 1 John 5, Matthew 12, Matthew 23, Mark 12, Galatians 5, on and on. These scriptures are giving us an indication that there are sins that's on different levels and different degrees. Not all of it is on the same. All sin is rebellion against God. All sin is transgression against God. All sin is a transgression against the law of God. All sin is missing the mark. But not all sin is as severe as other sins. Look at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Now let's look at a few things here because I know what some of you are thinking, and so we're going to explore that. Mark, Mark chapter number, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says to his brother, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, at first glance, at first glance, it's easy to say that Jesus is putting the same sin in the same category, right? How many would raise your hand and say, it almost appears that hatred and murder is in the same category. Raise your hand. All right, 15 of you. I said, how many would agree that Jesus put them in the same category? He said, you've heard, you've heard of old that you should not murder. And whoever murders is in danger of the judgment. He says, but I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother without a cause. Now, you can be angry with your brother. You just got to have a cause. Somebody say amen. <laughs> you know, sometimes we teach all anger is wrong, but that's not, that's not correct either. Without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, you know what the word Raka is? It's the word which means empty-headed. It's another word we get stupid. You call your brother empty-headed, empty-stupid, you'll be in danger of the judgment as well. So, it almost at same category here, Jesus is mentioning that hatred and murder is in the same category. And furthermore, if you go to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, it almost sounds like that. Because in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15, it states something very similar. 1 John chapter 3, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It echoes what Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 5. So Jesus has almost given us this category that hatred and murder is in the same thing. And we're studying tonight that there are different degrees, different severities of sin. Hatred and murder is in the same category. But are they necessarily punishable by the same degree? Absolutely not. The one who acts upon their evil desires involves a greater penalty than the one who simply has evil desires. You want me to say that again? The one who acts upon their evil desires invokes a greater penalty than those who simply have evil desires. say it again. The one who acts upon their evil desires invokes a greater penalty than those who simply have evil desires. Okay? So there's a difference between attitude and action. Jesus said if you look on a woman and have lust after her, you've already committed adultery. And so here in fundamentalist Christianity we'll say, see, it's all sin. It's all sin. But I guarantee you, thinking about it and doing it is two separate things. Because if you think it's all the same, then why don't you just go commit adultery? I mean, if you've already thought it, just go ahead and do it. Obviously, it's not. Now, that leads me to the question, there is a danger of equating all sin on the same level. And I'm going to give you reasons why we should never do that. Number one, go to Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Now, I don't want you to leave tonight thinking that sin is acceptable. Is sin rebellion against God? Yes. Does sin separate us? Yes. But the severity of sin is different in each case. Matthew chapter 23 Look at verse 23. Matthew 23, verse 23. He says to the scribes and Pharisees, you pay tithe of your mint and your cumin, but you've neglected, to weigh the, you've neglected the weighty matters of the law and justice and mercy and faith. Those of you 
to aught you have done without leaving the others undone. You're blind gods. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So the very first thing, the danger, the reason there is a danger to equating all sin is because, number one, if we're not careful, we will elevate gnats to the status of camels. Well, I'm preaching good, and y'all just looking at me like. Everybody say this. If we're not careful, we will elevate gnats to camels. Gotta be very careful. All sin is not the same. There's gnats and there's camels. There is a whole lot more gnats than there are camels. And we can get so bogged down, but with all the gnats, that we overlook what the real issue is. That's what we've done for years. We overlook, we, we wrestled with gnats, didn't we? The woman's hair has to be a certain length, and the dress has to be down. That was all gnat issues. When we forgot that there was camel issues. Come on, somebody. So if we're not careful, the danger of equating all sin is is that we elevate gnats to camels. Now, does the gnats have to be dealt with? Yes. But every one of you have thoughts you shouldn't think of. But not all of you are participating in adultery. That's a camel. Not all of you are participating in sexual immorality. Hopefully none of you. Can I hear an Amen. So if we're not careful, we will elevate gnats to the level of camels. Can't do that. And you know why I think there's a danger to equate all sin in one lump? Is because it discourages the pursuit of holiness. If all sin is equal, then it discourages the pursuit of holiness. If every sin is equated to every other sin, then there's actually no progress towards holiness that could be made unless you're sinless. How do you ever know you're growing in grace if you think a thought is as equal to an action? How do you know that you're ever making progress? I would think I would prefer you not to do the action. Maybe that's progress. But if you're equating everything on the same level, then there it discourages the pursuit of holiness. There's no progress to holiness that can be made unless you're perfectly sinless. And there's nobody that's perfectly sinless. Is everybody say, can, is everybody with me say amen? If every sin is equated to every other sin, there is no progress towards holiness unless you become sinless. And that's not going to happen. Number three, the reason I don't think that we need to equate all sin together is because of the, our concept of justice gets corrupted, which affects how we treat other people. If one does something wrong, minor wrong, and it's considerably equal punishable to that major thing, then we will never appreciate progress that's made, made in people's lives. We will never appreciate the progress that people make in their life with Christ if we equate all sin as the same. Somebody that's delivered from drugs and prostitution and no longer do the act, and maybe they have a problem with, you know, cussing. I think they've probably made progress in their life. They've laid down the drugs. They've laid down the prostitution. And if we equate all of it on the same level, then there's no, it discourages the pursuit of holiness in somebody's life. And number four, the reason that I don't think there's, the reason I think there's a danger in equating all sin is because why should unbelievers believe in a God like this? We believe in a God of justice, don't we? You punish your kids based on the severity of their action. Society bases evil or gives punishment based on the severity of someone's actions. 
so it's a righteous thing. Now, the question tonight is, okay, well, all right, I see this in Scripture, but what does it matter? What does it really matter if I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, all my sins are forgiven, I'm on my way to heaven, so it really doesn't matter if it's big or small. Can I hear an amen? I mean, so we can come to the conclusion, it doesn't really matter if I love Jesus and I've repented of my sin and I've accepted Christ, it really doesn't matter if it's something's big or small. I've repented of it. And in one aspect, you're right. It really doesn't matter whether the sin is big or small or, or whether it really doesn't matter because all sin separates you from God. So you still need to repent of it. Would I, can I hear an amen? Whether the sin is little or whether the sin is big, you still need to repent of it because sin, whether it's big or little, can separate you from God and does separate you from God. So it really doesn't matter to us. But then I would have to say this. I think it does matter when it deals with rewards and judgment in our life. It really does matter. I mean, Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 5, that Matthew chapter 5, verse number 19 he says, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of God. And whoever doesn't teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of God. So according to Jesus, there are some people who will be great and there will be some people who will be called least in the kingdom of God. So I think it does matter the severity of your sin. As Jesus said, these people who do these things one will be called great and the other will be called least based upon their action, based upon what they do. So what are you saying, preacher? I am saying that all sin is against God. All sin separates us from God. All sin is rebellion against God. All sin creates a separation from God. All sin is rebellion against God. But each sin is different in its severity and in its punishment. We see that in Scripture. I want to give you, I have never seen this before, uh, but I, I think it holds uh, great weight in Scripture. And I'm going to give you, the, the uh, according to some theologians, the degrees of sin. And I have never personally seen this even growing up, but after due study, I think that this is, holds great merit. Now, if you don't agree with this particular thing I'm about to say, you can just throw it out. But I do want to make mention that I think it holds great weight tonight. And I believe that it, that it can really minister to you. If you go to Psalms 32, verse 5. Psalms 32. Psalms 32 and verse number 5. Psalms 32, verse number 5. I want you to see something here very interesting. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin, everybody shout sin, and my iniquity, somebody say iniquity, and my iniquity I have not hidden, and I said I will confess my transgression, somebody say transgression. So in this scripture you have the word sin, you have the word iniquity, and you have the word transgression. You see that? Somebody shout the word sin, iniquity, and transgression. Go to Psalms 51, and I want you to see the same thing that's echoed in this verse. Psalm 51, verse number 1. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Somebody say transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my, somebody say transgression, iniquity, and sin. Go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. The same thing is echoed again. Daniel chapter 9, verse number 24. Seventy weeks, if you're not there, look at behind me. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, 
to make reconciliation for iniquity. So here again you have the word iniquity, transgression, and sin. Exodus chapter 34 verse 7. Exodus 34 verse 7 echoes almost the same thing. Exodus 34 verse number 7. Verse number, see, Exodus 34, verse number 7. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiven iniquity, transgression, and... You see that? Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Go to Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21. Leviticus chapter 16, verse number 21. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21. Leviticus 16, verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands upon the head of the live goat, confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, all their transgressions, and even their sins. Now, it's interesting. Now, I have, you can go on with this. Over and over in these particular scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, there's, a, there, there's these three words that keep coming up. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. And I believe that these three words describe the three different levels of sinning that people do. The first level of sin is called sin. All right, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. Somebody say sin. And sin simply means to miss the mark or miss God's standard. For we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is just not doing something wrong, but it is also failing to do what's right. So you are born into sin. Somebody shout, I'm born into sin. So we're all sinners. Somebody say, we're all sinners. Now, if you're saved by the grace of God, you're no longer a sinner, but we're all born into sin. So that's the first level. So everybody in the world, unless they have confessed Christ and repented of their sin, they are in sin. That's the first level. All right? The second level is called transgression. Transgression. The word transgression means to, to disobey with a willing heart. You disobey and you know you're doing it. David said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and the sin that is covered. So transgression is connected to trespass. It's a violation of the law and you trespass because you know you did it. You know you did it. So, so we're all sinners. We're all on the same level here unless, unless you've repented of your sin. And then there's that, that willful act. I did it didn't fall into it. I transgressed against God. I, I, I know I did it. And it's not that you were tricked into doing it. You know you, did, you got in the back seat of that car and you know you did it. I mean, you just did it. That's transgression. All right, you did it. The third level, and, and um, well, you know, it's interesting that Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, look at this, the perfect example of transgression here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Galatians chapter 3, in verse 19, he says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of our transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator so what what is the law our transgression our willful act against God's law the law was put in place so that we'll know that we need we couldn't do it by ourselves the law was given to show us how much we've transgressed against God you know, David said in Psalm 51, Psalm 51, verse 1, he said, Blot out my iniquities, 
He says, wipe them away. He says, and blot out my transgressions. So blot them out. Do away with them. So in the third level is what we call iniquity. 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 This is an innate desire to continue to sin. Okay? This is not, I messed up one time, I transgressed. I transgressed. This is an innate desire to continue to sin. You just, you keep on doing it. You're committing iniquity. You're in danger of falling out of grace because you're doing it over and over and over, and that is iniquity. Okay? You say, well, how do we know that, Pastor? Well, Micah chapter 2, verse 1, and, and isn't it interesting? Look at this, church. If you willful sin and you don't repent of it and stop it and you stay in it, it becomes iniquity. It becomes a part of your life. That's when it becomes dangerous. I mean, all sin is dangerous, but iniquity. And now, um, but some theologians think there's a fourth level called ab abomination. That's, that means perverseness, but a lot of people will put abomination and iniquity together, and so I'm just going to put it together. But let's look at uh, some things about iniquity. Micah chapter 2, verse 1. Micah chapter 2 and verse number 1. Micah chapter 2 and verse number 1. Now, look at it. He says, Woe to those who plan iniquity and to those who plot evil on their beds. You see that? He says, so iniquity is something you've planned to do. It's, it's something you planned out to do. You, you plotted evil on your bed. You see, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he planned to commit adultery, and he planned to kill her husband. And after he repented, he repented of his sin, did he not? So Psalms 51 is him repenting of his sin. Go back to Psalms 51, and I want you to see this. Psalms 51. Psalms 51. Look at what David says here. Psalm 51, verse number 2. He says, "Wash." Psalms 51, verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. I acknowledge that I willfully did this. And my sin is always before me. Against you and only have I done this evil in your sight. Hmm. James chapter 3 verse 6 deals with James chapter 3 verse 6 interesting to me that he says the tongue is a world of iniquity. You know why? Because the tongue never shuts up. It just keeps going. It can get you in trouble. And I hear an amen. I said, can I hear an amen? The tongue is so set among other members that it can defile the whole body. Many words can be spoke that can cause iniquity to flourish. So he says you've got to be watch. Watch the uh, iniquity. Uh, and I can go on, but it's interesting to me that Isaiah 53... Isaiah 53, if you go to Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, and many theologians believe, you know, the works of sins that I mentioned, Galatians chapter 5, if you do these things, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Many people believe that it falls under iniquity. They continue to do these things. And if you continue to do these things, these are iniquity, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's, a, that's an interesting viewpoint. I want you to go to uh, Isaiah 53, and I want you to see here, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, and let's look at verse number 5, 53, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, verse number, did I say 5? Five? 5, yeah, verse number 5. But he was wounded for our... He was bruised for our, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were, 
see that? And like sheep we have gone astray. We've turned everyone his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth, and he was taken from the prison, from the judgment. Who would declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And they made his, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him, put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Hmm. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. I believe the Scripture is telling us that the Lord forgives and he was wounded to take care of the sin nature, he took care of when we have when we commit sin out of the willingness of our heart, when you can continue to commit sin, all of that is paid for at the cross of Christ. And somebody say amen. In other words, he forgives your iniquity, he forgives your transgressions, and he forgives your sin. Somebody say amen. According to the greatness of your compassion, Lord, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. I don't think it's wise for us to put all sin at the same level, but I do think that sin in general is rebellion against God. But each sin does have its own punishment and own severity. Wouldn't you agree? And I believe that some of this thinking probably has come from different churches who teach this but have become corrupted in their teaching. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater either. Amen. So did you enjoy the word of the Lord tonight?